Hi, this is John Stonge, and I just finished up some training with the Healthy Discipleship Community on the subject of practicing self-discipline. Self-discipline isn't typically a subject that I think many people in our culture value, although I do certainly see self-discipline practiced among many athletes. But when you look at self-discipline or self-control, as it's sometimes referred to in Scripture, we're shown that that's something that truly matters to the Lord, and it's certainly something He wants to see in our lives. And so this evening, we just finished up some training with the Healthy Discipleship Community on this concept of practicing self-discipline. And I wanted to share this audio with you, and I hope that it'll be an encouragement to you. So what you're about to hear is about a half hour of training on the biblical subject of self-discipline and self-control. And then the second half hour, you'll be able to hear the discussion that we had on this subject after looking at the scriptures. So here it is. This is part of what I refer to as the healthy discipleship community. If you're unfamiliar with the healthy discipleship community, this is something that I recently started in conjunction with my website, desirejesus.com, and also uh, the podcasts that I uh, record and and make available. Um, One of the things that I recently became convinced was missing from what we were doing was just a community aspect where we could interact and grow together. And some of the requests that I was getting from people related to what we were doing here was just an opportunity to go deeper in discipleship. And so I thought, well, you know what, that means it's time that we start something up. And uh, so for the past group of weeks, uh, we've inaugurated the Healthy Discipleship Community. You can find out more about it at desirejesus.com. I even got fancy this week and bought healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com. So that's a website now, too. Um, but tonight we're talking about practicing self discipline and winning the race before you. So I want you to think about that concept practicing self discipline and winning the race before you. And I'm going to set our our time up with some questions right now and just some thoughts that I want you to consider. And then after we we take a look at some of these things together, then I'm going to leave open some time for us to have some good discussion here in just a little bit. But a few things I wanted to share with us first, just by way of encouragement. First of all, many Christians struggle to reach their long-term objectives for life, for growth, for spiritual health, for mission, This is something that, you know, when I talk to many believers, I I find that this tends to be um, a a pattern with some. It's certainly not a pattern with everybody, but it's definitely a pattern with some. And this is something that many Christians admit to struggling with. They're struggling to reach these long-term objectives for their life and for their growth and for their spiritual health and for their mission. And I wonder why that is. And I often will ask, well, why is that? Why do you suppose this is such a struggle? Why do you suppose you're having a lot of difficulty with these things? And so I want you to keep that in mind here as we kind of set up this idea of talking about practicing self-discipline. And likewise, I want to say this, many Christians invite things into their lives that perpetuate a state of being unhealthy or off target. So I'm kind of using those terms synonymously this idea of being either unhealthy or off target because of certain things that that some believers have invited into their life. And it seems that it's perpetuating this, this state of being unhealthy or this state of being off target. And I just kind of want you to think about this for a second. Is this something that you've also wrestled with? I'll confess to you that there are definitely seasons of my life where I've 
I've, I've kind of, I kind of look at this statement here that I'm presenting before you, but I, I know that there have been plenty of times where that's been quite true of me. And, um, and I think to myself, all right, you know, why does it feel like I'm off target right now? And, and sometimes when I do some self analysis, I begin to realize that a big part of that is, uh, is because of things that I've invited into my life that, that really don't belong there. So, you know, is this something that you've also wrestled with? It's something I've certainly wrestled with. Scripture teaches us that life is like a race. And in just a few moments, I'm going to show us several portions of Scripture. But once uh, we get into the Scripture, you're going to see one of the particular Scriptures that we look at this evening speak of life being like a race. Scripture teaches us that life is like a race, teaches us that we need to run it in such a way that we don't lose sight of the ultimate objective. And that's something I've wrestled with. That's probably something that you've wrestled with. It can become very easy at times for us to lose sight of the ultimate objective that Christ has brought before us. So for each of us to reach the objectives that the Lord's placed in front of us, we need to practice self-discipline which is also referenced in Scripture as self-control. So these terms, again, they're synonymous terms, this idea of self-discipline and this idea of self-control. These are synonymous terms that are brought up in Scripture. And so my question for us this evening for consideration, as we talk about this idea of practicing self-discipline, is there a pattern for doing so? Is there a pattern that's outlined for us in Scripture related to practicing self-discipline. And I'd like to suggest that there is a pattern. And even though I know what we won't look at this evening, it's um, it's not exhaustive in the sense that there's certainly more we could add to this. There are some key things that I want to point out to us tonight that I hope will be useful to you if we're in the process of Uh, trying to really grow in this idea of self-discipline or practicing biblical self-control. And one of the the concepts that I'd like to show us from Scripture is this. Self-discipline is something that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Self-discipline is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me read for us from Galatians 5. I'll read verses 22 and 23. There it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So think about that for just a moment. Right now, we're in the midst of spring. It's a spring season. And so, uh, you know, over the past group of weeks, I've been looking at my lawn and looking uh, around my uh, around the back of my house at the different things growing there. And I've been excited to watch everything uh, come back to life. You know, I'm looking at all the different things growing green and growing healthy and growing tall. And it's fun to see that. This is one of my favorite times of the year. I love the weather. I love seeing things grow. I love just the way the sky seems nicely blue after you get out of the grayness of the winter. And so you can see, you know, it's almost like, like looking at plants and looking at trees and looking at things of that nature. You know, you, you see fruit, you see growth. And scripture refers to uh, the growth or the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life as being like fruit. 
that he brings forth fruit from our lives. And in Galatians 5, it lists for us some of those fruits. It speaks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And then the last one it lists is self-control. Self-discipline is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is something that, that, uh, that Scripture makes abundantly clear to us, that self-discipline isn't something that is empowered by us. Self, even though, and, and it seems kind of funny to think about it this way, uh, self-discipline sounds very much like it would find its origin in us. It sounds like it would find its origin in me or in you, because we're talking about this idea of self-discipline. But when you actually look at what Scripture reveals to us about self-discipline or self-control, we're, we're told in Scripture that it's actually empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even your desire or my desire to, to practice self-control, you know, or, or to, you know, live out our day-to-day life in such a way that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to govern our temperament, even the desire for that is something that I believe the Holy Spirit is fostering, that desire within us. And so here in Galatians 5, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that, that self-control, when it's practiced in a biblical way, self-control or self-discipline, that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that this is something that the Holy Spirit is bringing forth from your life and from my life. Something else that we can see in Scripture that I think is a useful thing to recognize, and that's this. Discipline is a protective gift from God. So when we're talking about this idea of this pattern that Scripture brings up, a pattern that's, that's addressed in Scripture, one of the things in this pattern is that it, it, Scripture reveals to us that discipline is a protective gift from God. Let me read Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight, and then I want to share something briefly with you about that, even before we look at the next scripture. But in Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight, it says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So picture that for just a second. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Gives us this picture of of like a robbery taking place or an invasion taking place, that something's askew, that something's wrong. If a man is not practicing self-control, he's, he's like a defenseless city, a wallless city, a city that's been invaded. You know, so it's like a life that's been invaded by unhealthy things or unwise things. I remember growing up, I had a, a particular friend that I went to elementary school with and also uh, to high school with. And this one particular friend, I remember at the time, I, I sort of envied him. And part of the reason why I envied him was because it seemed like he was able to get away with doing whatever he wanted to do. If he had something that he wanted to do, his parents were not of the opinion to stop him. Uh, he was the first friend that I can ever remember using profanity in front of his parents. And I remember the first time he did it, I thought to myself, oh, he's toast. (laughs) They are going to destroy him. I can't believe he just used that word in front of his parents. And they didn't say anything. And they didn't do anything. And as time went on, that just continued to play out and continued to play out. And I watched over the course of his his young life. I saw this in, in elementary school, junior high, high school. I saw that it didn't go well for him in a lot of ways. He would have, he would find himself in a lot of trouble. I, you know, I remember he, like sometimes it was trouble with the law. Sometimes it was trouble with the school district, but he also was very depressed. I noticed he was very depressed. And I think one of the reasons he was so depressed was because his parents did not do him the favor of walling him in. 
and teaching him control and teaching him discipline and showing him the nature of self-control and modeling what that would look like for him. And, you know, when I was, when I, uh, uh, was, you know, putting this together today and I was thinking about Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, and what it says here about a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I, this friend came to my mind. He was like, he was like a city broken into. That was, that was the way his life was governed at that point. I don't know how that played out for him as an adult. I would suspect not well. Uh, we don't have contact now. But I watched it not play out very well for him when he was a child. And I bring that example up because when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, and we're talking about this idea that discipline being a protective gift from God, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this idea of the Lord disciplining those he loves. And it tells us there that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now think of a season when you could sense that the Lord was probably disciplining you. I'm thinking right now of a few seasons in my life where I could, when I look back at it, I could look at it and say, yeah, I believe the Lord was disciplining me in those moments. So think about a season when the Lord was disciplining you. What was it like? How did it feel? Was it something that you enjoyed or was it something that you were probably happy to see conclude. Well, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that discipline, for the moment, seems painful. It doesn't seem pleasant. It doesn't tend to seem enjoyable. But later, it bears fruit. It, builds, it, 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 bears the, the, or it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. it the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I love what that says. Discipline does not seem pleasant in the moment. It seems very unpleasant in the moment. But, you know, the Lord ultimately, he brings good things from it. Um, And uh, it's it's actually a protective gift from God. Something else that that we see in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is this principle. There it shows us when we're talking about this idea of discipline— It tells us that disciplined Christians ultimately see their lives as living sacrifices. If you're somebody who's a disciplined Christian, if you're someone practicing self-discipline or self-control, one of the things that you've experienced along the way is a perspective shift. You have started to see your life differently. You've begun to see your life as a living sacrifice like it's described right here. Let me read for us Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, but there it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I love what the Apostle Paul shares with us there. In that portion of Scripture, we're encouraged as people who have received great mercy from God to be people who look at the Lord and say, all right, Lord, my life is not going to be lived for myself. My life is not going to be lived for my selfish cravings. My life is not going to be lived for the things of this world. Rather, I'm going to live 
as a living sacrifice. I'm going to say, here is my life, Lord. I submit it over to you. I'll go on as a living sacrifice. I'm not going to live for myself. And I'm going to do this as an act of worship. As a disciplined Christian, I'm going to see my life differently. I'm not going to be selfish about it. I'm I'm going to see my life as a living sacrifice. That's what my life will be. In my mind, when I think about my life, I'll be thinking about the fact that it is indeed a living sacrifice. And as an act of worship, I will submit it over to you, Lord. We'll give it over to you. Instead of conforming to this world, I'm going to let you transform the way that I think. And uh, I love how this scripture uh, speaks about this. It, it, It tells us that in that process, as we submit ourselves over to the Lord, as we go about life as a living sacrifice, what ends up happening, one of the byproducts of that is that we end up finding ourselves in a spot where we can discern the will of God more clearly. We can discern the will of God more clearly. We learn to understand what's good and what it, what's acceptable and what's perfect. We learn to discern the will of God more clearly as we live our lives as living sacrifices. And disciplined Christians begin to see their lives that way. That's one of the evidences, I believe, of uh, somebody attaining a level of self-control or self-discipline. They begin to see their life from the perspective that's outlined for us in Romans chapter 12. They see their life as a living sacrifice. Well, another aspect of the pattern that I see brought up in scripture is this, and this is key, you know, so tonight we're talking about this idea of uh, of practicing self-discipline and and running the the, the race that's before us, and disciplined Christians, scripture reveals to us, are are not running aimlessly. You know, if you're you're practicing self-control, if you're practicing self-discipline as the Holy Spirit empowers you to do so, you're not running aimlessly. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And then he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Let me just pause there for a second. Think about that for a second. Those of you who know those that are very athletic, you know that they tend to exercise a lot of self-control. They, they're careful with what they eat. They're careful with their exercise regimen. It seems like they've got all things planned out. I complimented my son last night. Uh, one of my sons has been very diligent over the past year in particular to work out very regularly, and his body shows it. And I think he's uh, amazed by that, but he sees that, that what he eats matters and the exercise that he gets, it matters. And so because he's choosing to exercise self-control, he's seeing the results in his body as it grows strong and as it looks fit. And here Paul is telling us in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 9 that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And then he says in their particular example, saying they do it to receive a perishable perishable wreath. This was something given as a gift, as an award to athletes in their particular context of the time. He says, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. I can't get that word out. But he says, we, but we, an imperishable. And so he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I, I can understand the pressure that Paul felt, that, that he felt as he was expressing these things. 
He's talking about this idea of the fact that here he is preaching the gospel to others, communicating to others, helping people grow in their walk with Christ, sharing the gospel with people who as of yet have not, have not met Christ, now coming to know Christ. And so he's trying to express some integrity in what he's communicating. He's trying to express some integrity in what he's teaching others. He's saying, listen, after I'm preaching to others, I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to tell people one particular thing and then go and do the opposite. Uh, I saw, um, maybe some of you saw this, I, I saw the news the other day, a particular mayor who was telling people, listen, during this pandemic, you can't go to hairdressers, you can't go to barbers, you just got to stay home, and then showed up soon after to a press conference with a fresh haircut. And then people asked this mayor, you know, why did you do this? And, and she said, well, listen, I'm, you know, I'm the public face of this for, for the community here, and I, I, I value my personal hygiene, and so I needed to do this. And I thought to myself, um, I'm pretty sure the people that you're trying to lead also value their personal hygiene. So here, you've now told them to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. And in fact, as a result, you're not going to be listened to. You've effectively disqualified yourself in front of people because you're not practicing the very thing you're telling them to practice. Well, here in Paul's context here, he's saying, I don't want to tell people to follow Christ and then not follow Christ myself. I don't want to tell people to... Uh, avoid giving in to the temptations of the flesh, but then give right in to the temptations of the flesh and then disqualify myself after preaching to people to do that very thing. And, uh, and I look at that and I think to myself, yeah, that's kind of an added pressure that I think is probably a healthy thing if you're in a teaching role. I certainly feel this way as, as a, a pastor. Think to myself, I got to make sure that I'm living out what I'm communicating. I got to make sure that I'm living out what I'm preaching to others got to discipline my body as the Holy Spirit empowers me to do so, got to keep it under control so that after preaching to others, I myself should not be uh, disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified. I ultimately want to be somebody who exercises spirit-empowered self-control in all things. I don't want to run aimlessly. I want to run with with a a target in mind, and my target is Christ-likeness, copying Christ, modeling Christ, That's the goal that the Lord has for us as believers. That's what he's empowering us to ultimately experience, a Christ-like life. So disciplined Christians, they're not running aimlessly. One last thing that I want to point out before we jump over to uh, discussion of these things, and that's this. There's a big difference between fleshly efforts and grace-empowered activity. And I think that this is key to bring out in a discussion on self-discipline. If we're practicing self-discipline, if we're practicing self-control, we need to understand there's two very distinct perspectives on this. There's a very big difference between fleshly efforts and grace-empowered activity. Let me read to us from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. There it says this. Notice the first line. It says, for the grace of God, so this unmerited favor of God, this power of God, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Think about those statements for just a moment. There you have the Apostle Paul, again, as he's sharing these words with Titus, Titus who was also serving in pastoral leadership, 
in a very difficult place. You know, he was, he was in a location, he was in Crete, and he was in a location where he was serving among people who were known for being licentious. He was serving among people who were known for just being the most wicked of the wicked, the most worldly of the worldly. And here, Paul's teaching Titus and explaining to Titus, saying, listen, the grace of God, it, God's grace brings salvation. God's grace trains us to renounce ungodliness. God's grace trains us to renounce worldly passions. By the grace of God, we are empowered to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. But there's two perspectives to living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. And one perspective leads to legalism. And legalism is where, where fleshly efforts are relied upon, where we think, okay, I've got, I've got my own strength that I can rely upon to live self-disciplined. And I've gone down that route. And I got to tell you, all it does is produce judgmentalism. It produces shame and it produces despair because you start to realize that in your own strength, you can't carry the day. You need the Lord's strength to do what you need to do. But here, when you look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11, there it tells us that the grace of God has come to us. The grace of God has appeared, and he's empowering us. He's training us. He's encouraging us. He's enabling us to live a self-controlled or a self-disciplined life. There's a huge difference between fleshly efforts and grace-empowered activity. We need to rely on the strength of Christ to be able to live a self-disciplined life. If I'm trying to rely on my own strength, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to end up experiencing shame. I'm going to end up experiencing despair because I'm going to realize that I have my limits. But it'd be better if I rely on the power of God. It'd be better if I rely on the strength of Christ in order to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. And Titus 2 tells us that the grace of God has, get, has been given to us so that we are enabled to be able to, to actually practice self-control, to actually practice self-discipline. So again, a huge difference. And I want to differentiate that because in talking about self-discipline and talking about self-control, I don't want to put us in the spot where we leave this call thinking, okay, I need to do this in my own strength. I need to be more self-controlled or more self-disciplined in my own effort. That's the opposite of what the gospel is teaching. The gospel is teaching us that my own effort and your own effort is not sufficient that we need the grace of God to live a Christ-like life. We need the power of God to train us and to guide us and to help us in all of these things. So please notice that there's a big difference between fleshly efforts and grace-empowered activity. Now, in just a moment, we're going to transition over to some questions and some discussion. So I, I want you to have in mind, you know, just some things that you want to bring up related to self-control and uh, related to self-discipline and, and the, the Lord's power enabling us to practice self-control. I'll also remind you, if you're not familiar, uh, again, with the Healthy Discipleship Community and some of the content that we have at DesireJesus.com, at some point I'd invite you to stop by over there. We keep building that out week after week. Sometimes it's day after day. Uh, but if there are ways that we could help you as you seek to grow in your walk with Christ, uh, we definitely have content over there to help uh, make that possible. And uh, we, we keep hosting these, uh, these training calls, these coaching calls. Right now we've been doing these on Thursday nights at 8 Eastern. 
And so I know that some of us are in different time zones, but we invite you to jump on these things. So I'm going to stop the screen share here, and then I'm going to jump over to gallery view with each of you. So uh, here we go. So hopefully you guys could see me. I can see you, and uh, I'd like you to, to feel at liberty to chime in here. Um, all right, good to see everybody. So some thoughts and some comments and some questions from each of you related to, uh, you know, just the nature of practicing self-control or self-discipline. Maybe I can even get us started here with a question. Um, what do you think makes it uh, difficult for people to mature in this particular area? You know, those of you that have been a Christian for a while, those of you that have been involved in church leadership, what do you think is so difficult about practicing self-control for many people? What have you noticed? Nathan, I see your hand raised up. Go for it. Uh, all right. Um, I would just say when you've been doing things a certain way, it's always the easiest to keep doing what you're doing, especially if, if it seems like, you know, and the end goal could be whatever. If the end goal seems like you're going to have to make drastic changes and you're going to maybe have to either stop doing things that you want to do that you're already doing or, you know, start doing things that maybe even you want to do, but they come with a set of challenges, it's difficult. And it's always easier to just like, you know, stay passive and do things the way you always have. And some people either just from the start don't feel like it's worth it or they get into it and they're like, Oh, you know, this is harder than I thought. And then go back to the way things always were. Yeah. It's just easier to coast, right. Than to, than to turn mm -hmm. over that new leaf or to, to ex expend new effort or to value new things. I think that's a big part of this too, right? You know, Christ is always. teaching us to value new things. You know, he's training us mm -hmm. to renounce worldliness and to embrace godliness. So yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Some other thoughts from some of you. Yeah, uh, Don Kaler. I see you, Don. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, I joined in late, but uh, one of the things I see as a struggle is that it, it's, it's never-ending because there's always something else that comes up that maybe gets a little out of skew. I know for myself, as uh, soon as I get control in one area, then something else rises up. Uh, I never had a problem with weight before in my life, but now I have uh, – uh, I was calling them pastor pounds there for the last year, but now I got the pandemic pastor pounds. And so like uh, I'm having a problem with self-control, which is uh, food and sleep and necessary items for life. Uh, getting some control over some of the things from my past, but that's how I think it's so hard is that it's a continual thing. And there's always going to be something that we need to surrender and to turn over and, I think the, even the word self-control, I think it, I just caught the tail end of your teaching. I don't know, like the self-control, I don't have the ability to control myself. I need to go to God and surrender that. Uh, that's when I get some control over things, when I surrender it. And yeah. it's the last of the fruits of the Spirit. I think it's a reason why it's the last one. You need the other eight in order to be able to establish that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, we were talking earlier, um, you weren't on the call at that point, but yeah, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit and, uh, and how ultimately this is something, 
if we're if you're going to practice self-control and if I'm going to practice self-control, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit uh, actually accomplishing this work within us. And he's the one that, that fosters that. He's the one that teaches us to value it. So, yeah, I agree with you. Nathan, I see your hand up again. What's up? Yeah, that just um... – I realized that as I found that um, just in my own case, um, the fact that something is continual makes it so much harder, um, which that's actually a really good example with weight. Cause that's something now that uh, just health and fitness I've gotten a lot better at now that I'm farther in, it's not as difficult, but especially at the start, it was a lot harder to find motivation because I had kind of dabbled before but when you tell yourself, like, you know, this is going to be difficult, but I'm doing it for a week or like a month or whatever else, and you have a certain goal, and you just say, like, I want to lose 20 pounds, a lot of people make it there, and then, you know, they go back. But when you decide that it's like a lifestyle change, there is no such end in sight. It's like, this is now the way that I do things from now on until the day that I'm not living anymore, which that, it, it makes it harder because there's no concept of, like, you know, I'm counting down the days, and once I get to here, I don't have to deal with this anymore. It's a struggle, and it's just consistent, and that's the way that things are from now on. It takes a lot more motivation for something like that. Yeah, good point. So we'd, we'd call this, I guess, a spirit-empowered life, lifestyle change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as the Holy Spirit inspires us and, and empowers us. Good. Some other thoughts? I think self-control is something, because we want to be – we want immediate results. And so when we, we, we start off with self-control, we think we can control it for that day or that week. But, but we, you know, with the, the spirit control, you're talking long range and, and we have to be diligent and we have to stay with it. And, uh, you know, some people that they want that self-control because that's something you can see an immediate result with, you know, and, uh, but, but it, it's just like anything else. It's an immediate result, but it, it, it comes right back again if we don't give it to the spirit. So yeah, I think it's right. That's something within us that, that immediate, that gratification we want right now. Yeah. Yeah. We're used to the whole instant gratification. You know, Craig, uh, let's see a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic. Right. And so a few weeks ago I uh, had to go to a grocery store and I wanted to pick up coffee and I drank the most like commonly found brand of coffee just about you know, I, I drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee. You could buy it in a bag, you know, I, and it's not like something fancy, something overly expensive, but it's my favorite flavor, right? And so I went to the store, and up to this point, any time in my adult life that I wanted that coffee, all I had to do was go to the store and just buy it. And it was always there, and it was instantaneous, and I could have it. And I went to the store, and it wasn't there. <laughs> and I thought, this is the first time in my life that I could ever remember going to the store and it not being there. So used to having everything in an instant, the second that I want it. And uh, to go with your analogy, you know, you're saying uh, self-control is a matter sometimes of, of things like delayed gratification. Self-control isn't always uh, a, a, about, um, you know, trying to gratify the desires of, of the flesh. It's looking at what the Lord prioritizes and saying, all right, this should be my long-term objective because this is the Lord's long-term objective. This is what he wants for my life. And since he wants this for my life, he's training me to want it for my life too. Anyone here uh, resonate with uh, some of the things that I was sharing before about discipline being evidence of God's love and the way that the Lord factors discipline 
in our lives and how he, how he works that out. You know, we were looking at Hebrews 12 before. In Hebrews 12, it talks about, you know, the fact that like discipline, as the Lord is enacting discipline in our life, um, that it seems so unpleasant. And yet it, that it, yet it just brings forth this, just the, the, so much righteousness and so much peace as the Lord brings it out into our lives. Do you ever wonder what our lives would look like if the Lord had chosen to not show us that love in that way? What are some of your thoughts on some of those things? I know you, you mentioned it also when you read the scripture, but that that end of that Hebrews twelve eleven, the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What a, what a what a word picture that is. Um, yeah. You know, um, and, and I'm thinking about when we don't have that, you're, we're almost like the proverbs, where our city walls are torn down. We've all probably experienced that to some degree, where you know we we are like behind a defenseless. The walls are, are shattered. Yeah. You know, and uh, see, I mean that it's it's that. Uh, that moment of discipline that leads, you know, that peaceful fruit of righteousness. And we got to go through that. We've got to accept it um, in our fallen condition. And uh, I think when we're not experiencing some level of, of uh, discipline from the Lord, we're probably, we may be outside the, <laughs> outside of his parameters, actually, you know, because uh, we all need to be pulled back in from time to time. Right. Day to day, minute to minute sometimes. Yeah, Absolutely. The thought I'm having as we're going through this is that uh, we're we're, dis- we're we're disciplined and, and we're disciples, and and God wants to prune away all these other things that sidetrack us and take us off mission and make us unhappy. If 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 we're going to be led by His Spirit that's going to be a totally different thing than what we, we, we might want to do. Yeah. We tend to, per, we tend to pursue, you know, you use the word happy. We tend to pursue the things that we think will produce happiness in our lives. And then when you look at the priority that scripture outlines, um, scripture tells us that God's priority is our holiness so sometimes our priority is our happiness, and then you look at what God's priority is. It's like, no, my priority is your holiness. And it's like, oh, wait a second. That's very different from what I was pursuing. I was pursuing something that in a moment seemed entertaining or fun or gratifying on a fleshly level. And you're saying your, your desire for me is that I reflect the heart of your son, Jesus Christ. It's like where God's priority is holiness and, and ours sometimes is, is much less. Paul, I saw that you unmuted your mic. Some thoughts from you. Yeah, uh, four real quick things. Uh, when you, uh, a couple of the fellows were talking about uh, physical, you know, dealing with weight, uh, that's never been a problem for me. I've, I've been real good with my weight all my life. It's been right there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Your weight's but, been all there. Okay. All Just there. accept it. <laughs> uh, the, only time, the only time it wasn't there was about 1970, 70, okay. 71 when I was playing football for uh, Pershing High School in Detroit. Nice. And I got my letter, and then they told me I was too small to play college football. So I said, that's it. I got my letter as a junior. I'm done. I don't need to get beat up. 
but my <laughs> but my thinking was wrong, you know, because uh, I was just pursuing, I guess, the letter. Um, I was th- the other thought I had was uh, dis- discipleship, uh, discipline. Uh, my son is a Marine. I mean, he's he mustered out a number of years ago, but he was a Marine and everything he went through at Paris Island and uh, then having to go through the crucible uh, uh, so that he could get his globe anchor and uh, uh, eagle. Uh, and um, that was really important. The, the fellas, they just, it was rough going through through basic training, but what they learned there is basically how to uh, rely on one another. That, that the bottom line was you have to be able to rely on one another. The other thing I uh, was your your last uh, because I, I had to go get the scripture because uh, I re- I refer to Titus a lot because the first chapter uh, of that letter uh, speaks to uh, the qualities of a bishop mm-hmm. and I had to deal with that and I go back to that so often uh, to reread that uh, to remind myself of what I have to do and how I have to carry my life because it was a major transition for me when I went from just being a priest uh, uh, almost 10 years ago now uh, to becoming a bishop and the responsibilities that just changed. Um, So, and you do it, it affects your life and you do have to develop a discipline. And the the fourth comment, and this was just what you said, um, you love Dunkin' Donuts and you say that's inexpensive. If, yeah, if you're going to go to if you're going to go tomorrow, they're going to give you a free donut. But oh, my so wife and I went. My wife and I went once. We got our free donut. We got the smallest cup of coffee we could, and it was over five bucks. Oh, yeah, gosh. I can I can I can get a nice carrot for a quarter, and I get the same quality coffee. I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah. No. That, hey, first of all, thank you for that tip. That's that's a good tip. Although I have to say, over the past group of months, I've been making my Dunkin' at home. I've been making it at home because it it, it does, you know, it allows me to also feed my children. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it leaves it leaves money in the grocery budget for that. Um, but yeah, you must that's... have very expensive coffee around <laughs> Philadelphia because that, that Dunkin' Donut is one of the most expensive ones here. Well, it originated in New England, and since they know that they've got y'all hooked up there, they can jack up the prices. They're they're working on it for us here. (laughs) Um, I had a question for, uh, let's see, Nate. Are you in a spot where where you'd be able to unmute? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Nate Doyle. Oh, sorry. There's multiple Nates on here. What am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, so Nate... (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, you're, where are you at right now? Is that home or are you at your church? We are at the church right now. Okay. Um, so you've got six kiddos, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So you've got six children. Um, is there a day of your life since you became a father that you haven't had to lovingly or sometimes, you know, forcefully correct a child or multiple child or every child? Yeah. There's probably been days where maybe I didn't have to do that, but, <laughs> but uh, you, no, you're right. It's almost a daily occurrence. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, though, the more we, kids we've gotten, uh, 
they help to kind of correct each other. So they, the older ones end up doing a lot of the discipline of the younger ones, so to speak. I mean, not like the stuff that a dad has to do, but kind of the don't do that. You know, mom and dad wouldn't be happy, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how, how would you but feel if, uh, if 20 years from now, so I'm using 20 because that's when even your youngest will be pretty much an adult. All right. So, you know, uh, let's see, Levi is how many months now? Three, three. All right. So in 20 years and eight months or no, 20 years and nine months <laughs> from now, yeah. how are you going to feel if on a daily basis, you're still disciplining your children? Yeah. Yeah. That would be, heartbreaking that'd be tragic right um, I'm sure I would still do it out of love a father's love but uh you know even the even my 12 year old which is our oldest um there's certain there's a certain level to where we we want him to already have some things down right some some things that he's you know maybe we've worked on with him but he's he's got and he's good not not that it'll necessarily be perfect in his execution, but that he uh, at least has a heart and a desire to to do the right thing and, and to be obedient. Um, so what you're saying is that as as they age, you see where I'm drawing this out to, you know, the goal is that ultimately they they get to a spot where they have the internal desire to course correct as a matter of self-discipline or self-control but yet I would suspect that even at that season, the, there's going to be a lot of things that come up that they still hear your voice in the back of their head, coaching them along the way. Yeah. And, and, uh, oh, I was just going to say, yeah. um, based on what you were saying earlier, you know, about self-control being a fruit of the spirit and that, that, that is something I think about every now and then is that, the role that God has given me as their father is to uh, help them hear the voice of the Holy spirit. Right. Um, so, you know, it might be dad's voice, but I, I, I hope to also instill in them that it's, that it's dad's voice pointing them to Jesus, you know, right. echoing the voice of the Holy spirit. One of the things that I found the most effective in discipline uh when our kids uh need it is to just talk through with them maybe why we don't do what you know if they're upset about not being able to do something or well we don't do this because this is something that that would hurt the heart of god you know would mm-hmm. would, would grieve the holy spirit and and try to help reason that way with them versus uh this is what dad says, or this is what mom says. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I thought it would also be, and I see I'm looking at the clock here and I realize we only have a few minutes left, but I want to point one more thing out to us that comes out. And thanks for sharing that, Nate, by the way. Um, the, I, I just think children provide such a great example of the nature of our relationship with the Lord that I, could, I didn't want to fail to ask those questions specifically to you since this is very fresh in your life. Um, but um, one last thing I want to bring out, you know, in the, in the last 
group of verses that we were looking at there. We were talking about, um, you know, the grace of God. You know, so we were looking at, at the book of Titus, right? How the grace of God enables us. The grace of God empowers us. Um, and the difference that there is between uh, fleshly effort and grace-empowered effort. And I only mentioned this briefly during, you know, uh, our discussion there or, or my presentation of that verse, but I wonder what your thoughts are related to fleshly self-control leading to legalism. And what I mean by legalism, if you're not familiar with that term, I'm talking about this mindset or this idea where we think that ultimately we can essentially like force ourselves into a spot of um, of like perfection through our own effort. And it's not something that we're trying to do to glorify the Lord. It's not something that we're trying to do uh, to, to reflect the heart of Christ. We're really just trying to externally conform to certain standards, but yet internally there's a lot of darkness going on. And, um, and I'm, my contention is that if our efforts towards self-control or self-discipline are motivated by fleshly motivations, that that will produce a form of unhealthy legalism that ultimately produces rebellion against God instead of submission to God. And so I'd be curious if any of you have any thoughts or insights on, uh, on the difference that you see between fleshly effort and efforts towards self-control that are empowered by the Lord. Hey, John. Yeah. So um, there's something that when I was a younger Christian, I would call my sin, uh, like to control my sin. And I would have like this book where I'd like write down any sin that I would do and say, okay, I'm going to work on that and get rid of that sin out of my life. And then I would, what I found out about doing that though, is that I would be writing books for the rest of my life because (laughs) you, you never it, it just never happens like, oh, okay, I did great. I didn't, let's say, because I was a young teenager when I did this. So I, I didn't curse for a week. I didn't use a foul. Oh, I used it. It's back on the list. And it just reminded me how I needed to keep coming back to the Lord over and over and over again and how he's the one in control of it. And it, it's nice to have like the idea that you want to be grieved by your, your sin and you want to do something about it. So I like that effort, but I don't necessarily like how it turns into that legalism. And the dangers that I think it happens is you can compare yourself to other people when that happens. And you can either get a superiority complex or you're like, oh, well, look at them. They're doing really better than I am. And then that's what happens. And that's why it always reverts back to Christ. Yeah. I didn't think to bring that up, but I'm glad that you did. The, The whole idea of comparison that really is one of the negative fruits of fleshly effort, right? Where you will judge those that don't seem to be putting forth as much effort as you and don't seem to have progressed as much as you. You'll judge them severely and, uh, and, and you'll kind of minimize your own sin. Or you'll look at your own error and you'll look at your own mistake and you'll, you'll compare yourself uh, you know, to somebody else and, and, and say, oh, I, I don't stack up. And so you're just, you're just consumed with shame at that point. And it completely forgets that our standard is Christ. Our standard is not each other. You know, we don't measure each other. We don't measure ourselves by each other. 
Christ is the standard. So when we're measuring ourselves by the standard of Christ, we realize that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short. And so it's a reminder to us when we're relying on grace and not fleshly effort, when we're relying on grace, we're saying, okay, I, by nature, I fall short, but Christ is the one who's lifted me up. And he continues to lift me up. He continues to empower me. So I'm glad that you brought up this idea of comparison, because I think that's a huge part of that. And it's one of the, one of the most unhealthy fruits that comes from an over-reliance on our own effort and, and less of a reliance on Christ. That's great. Any, uh, any other final thoughts or comments? We're getting to the top of the hour here, so I, I want to be sensitive to everybody's time. Uh, any other final thoughts or comments about this tonight? I just like to thank you for uh, focusing on uh, discipline. Uh, I think that's really important. And I appreciate the fact that you, you brought out the, the book of Titus. A lot of the questions that you were asking there too, they're right there. You know, uh, when you look at uh, uh, when you look at Titus, um, first chapter one, and, and you look uh, uh, verses ten through uh, ten through sixteen, that 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 says a lot about uh, how how what happens if you're not doing, uh, if you're not being disciplined in your own life, and uh, and Paul tells Titus, you need to, you need to then speak out against those people who are, who are not disciplined because they're not giving a good example and they're, they're, they're teaching the wrong thing. And then, and then later on in the same, in the same uh, uh, letter in the third chapter, he speaks about uh, how the, the, uh, that, uh, well, the spirit be poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. And then he goes on saying, you know, live that type of life, you know, be, and discipline is, discipline is so important to the Christian faith because if, yeah. if you're not disciplined, you, you're going to, you're going to fall off the railing and, right. and, and you have, you have to go to Jesus all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Spirit empowered discipline as we seek to grow in Christ likeness. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you're right. The book of Titus does provide a lot of good example for that. And he was very much in a context there. You know, I mean, the, the context in Crete, everything I read about it tells me that, that, you know, I mean, we use the word Cretan to describe people. Oh, what a lousy Cretan. You know, if they had a, such a reputation as a culture that here we are a couple thousand years later, still using that as a, a derogatory, uh, you know, slam against somebody must have been a difficult context. And so, yeah, his faith was really tested in that in that uh, particular context. So, yeah, self-control is the Holy Spirit empowered that in Titus's life definitely would have mattered. Well, wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you guys jumping on the call here uh, this week. We're doing these on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern. I know that we're in different time zones and, and things like that as I look at, at who's on the, uh, the call here. Uh, but I, I, uh, I really appreciate you guys jumping on here. And thanks for your insights and, and uh, your sharing. And, and next week at this time, from, from 8 to 9, we'll do the very same thing. We'll be looking at some new subjects next week. So, All right, crew. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening. And uh, for those that were new with us tonight, we had a couple of people who are brand new with, with us tonight. So thank you guys for jumping on here. 
And some of you are veterans at this now, you know, isn't this kind of like almost like second nature at this point now, don't we just spend the, the, the bulk of our life on zoom calls at this point? I feel like I'm, I'm constantly staring at a, at a picture of a whole bunch of faces right in front of me. This would be so awkward if it was live, wouldn't it? You know, like just like staring at each other this way, but glad that we get to do this. Glad it's an option. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. No, that's not awkward at all. <laughs> all right. Well, everybody have a wonderful evening and uh, looking forward to doing this again sometime soon. Take care, everybody. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace and throughout scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.